New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. This month, YPOLS, the leading authority on Gen Z and millennial opinions and behaviors, has just released their latest trend report. And Mary Lee Bliss, YPOLS's chief content officer, is here to discuss the impact of diversity, representation, and inclusion on young consumers. Mary Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Before we dive into our conversation, can you give listeners a bit of context about YPOLS, who you're serving, how many people, how old they are, where they are, and how often you're talking to them? Absolutely. Y-Pulse is completely focused on youth, which means right now Gen Z, millennials, and starting to look at Gen Alpha. We survey 13 to 39-year-olds in both North America and Western Europe multiple times every month. We have large surveys, 1,500 in North America, so very large samples. So we're able to really dig into not just youth, but the, the groups within youth, specific demographics, millennial parents, teens, college students. And then, of course, young people of color and different races and ethnicities and all of the different kinds of groups that brands are trying to reach beyond youth. Now, we often start our conversations with definitions or context setting. So let's do that here. How diverse are the Gen Z and millennial cohorts? These are the most diverse generations to date. Gen Z is even more diverse than millennials. They are the first generation that is 50 percent people of color. And so we call them the diversity tipping point. It's something that you and I have talked about before because it's not just this one report in which we delve into this. Right. You know, the fact that Gen Z is the most diverse generation touches almost every aspect of their lives when it comes to media, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to what they're looking for from brands, when it comes to the brands that succeed with them, those that are inclusive, that represent them are far more likely to succeed. So we, we're talking about their diversity and the role that their race and ethnicity plays in their lives and their expectations of brands and media all the time. Right. And this is personal. It isn't performative do-goodery. It's it's about the consumers themselves. Absolutely. Right? So it would you say it's their identity? Yes, absolutely. It is, it is really entrenched in them. In the feminist movement, we often hear the word intersectional used. Yes. So if we broaden that beyond just the feminist movement, what does it mean in the context of identity and these generations that are so diverse? So, you know, we asked young consumers about their identities Mm -hmm. and also about their race and ethnicity and the role that those play in their identities and found very clearly that their race or ethnicity is important to them and is a huge part of who they are, what their identity is. So 71% of young people of color told us that clearly identifying their race or ethnicity is important to them because it's a direct representation of who they are. And it's really 
Of course, intersectionality is hugely important. You know, that is something that brands need to think about when really trying to reach these generations that race and ethnicity is hugely important to them, but their diversity goes beyond that. And their race and ethnicity are also intersected with their gender, with their sexual identity, with so many more things that are part of them. So all of those really specific personas and and pieces of their identity are who what they want to see as represented. So it's, you know, that's why inclusion needs to go deeper than skin color. So would you say that all parts of a person's identity are equal to them? For instance, a queer Black woman, are all things equally important? She wants to see queer representation. She wants to see Black representation. She wants to see women represented equally. And she wants to see a queer Black woman on her screen as well, right? So not so just she wants each it of those all things blended. individually, yeah. but you know, a reflection of who she actually is. And it becomes so valued and so meaningful when those ex- intersectional identities are actually represented on screen and in marketing because it's so rare. Right. You know, one of the things you note in your report is around language and how using the correct terms or the preferred terms is also important. And I found it really interesting. And specifically, I was really interested in the sort of vertical exploration around Hispanic, Latin, Latina, Latinx, white, non-Hispanic, Afro, Latino, Latina. And when I was working in the music industry, there was some very strong feeling from a segment of the Latin community, and here I'm referring to people who have their origins in South America, that they they were aggressive about not being Hispanic and not having people who are up for Latin awards being from Spain and not not blending, not using those terms interchangeably. And so I'm curious how when we look at the numbers, because in the report, 59% prefer Hispanic, but it was a multi-choice answer so that you can't say, therefore, you know, 41% don't like Hispanic. So, so how can you explain how that particular segment worked just as an example? Yeah. And just the background is, you know, we really wanted to understand how young people of color want to be identified by others. And there's been so much debate around this. You know, you're citing one example. There have been, you know, very recent laws and or at least proposed laws to ban the use of Latinx in, you know, in government documents and a lot of debate around these kind of newer terms around Hispanic identity. And so we really wanted to understand you know, well, there's tons of debate going on. There's politicians who are saying this shouldn't be used. There are certain groups that are saying, you know, these this term shouldn't be used or that term shouldn't be used. But what do young people actually right. want? And so that was the motivation. And what we did was ask all young people of color, if a, a person is talking about all people who are non-white, what term would you like to be used? And then we asked specifically about their race and ethnicity. So each group was asked a specific list that was actually culled from a previous survey. So we did multi-waves in order to you know, get these identifying terms mm-hmm. and ask them, others are talking about your race, which of these terms would you like to be used? When we asked Hispanic respondents, we they were given a list of, I believe, 15 
many more terms, which included Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, white, non-Hispanic, mixed race, multiracial, Latin, person of color, African-American, very, very broad based on, again, the surveys that we had done previously. And so, yes, they it was a multi-select, so they could choose all of the terms that they preferred. And Hispanic was, oh, by a good margin, the most preferred term or the term that they were most likely to choose with 59% choosing it. Now that said, no group is a monolith. And they are, there are of course many opinions within all of these different things. 59% is not a hundred percent. Right. And so, you know, there are 10% who say they do prefer Latinx or mm. that's a term that they prefer. Right. So we're not asking, do you hate this and love this? We're asking which of these terms are you comfortable with and are, do you want to see other people use? So I think within that, there are of course varying opinions. Mm-hmm. And importantly, I think really being specific about an individual's identity and race and ethnicity when you are talking to them as an individual is incredibly important. And that's something that we had some, you know, agree disagrees around. And the majority, 69% of Hispanic young people told us that there shouldn't be one acronym to describe multiple groups of people. So basically- My identity is incredibly unique. My race ethnicity is unique. And so I shouldn't be identified by this one acronym. Now, of course, if you're in marketing, if you're in media. Well, this is this is the thing I was thinking about. You know, if we think about the Hispanic community, that's a growing market in the United States. I want to speak to this community and I want them to not be offended by the way I speak with them. Did you ask about if they're offended? if people use the wrong, like one or the other, was that one of the questions? No, we didn't get into if they're offended. We were looking for clarity on what terms are most accepted. So if I'm a brand and I work in this space and obviously you want to have consistent messages, your safest bet is Hispanic, would you say? Correct. Okay. Correct. Does Does that mean you will never have pushback? No, because again, this is a within the Hispanic population, a diverse group. Right. Okay. With many ethnicities represented. And many of those individuals feel that there shouldn't be one acronym because they are, they are a unique race or ethnicity or even blend. And so, you know, clearly identifying them as individuals is important. Exactly. It's only going to get more that way. If we talk about the intersectionality you're going to keep adding and adding and adding dimensions as people mix together, if you yes. will. Now, one of the things, person of color, you can be non-white, non-Hispanic, non-Latin. What's the right word? Yes. Yeah, so this was a, a large motivation for asking these questions of young people of color. You know, there's been so much debate in the post-2020 kind of landscape. BIPOC was adopted by many Black indigenous people of color. And there's been debate around that term (laughs) and kind of uh, an assumption that that's the term that young people prefer. And White Pulse actually, you know, reading the the room, saw how many were adopting BIPOC and how many young, you know, 
activists were adopting the term. And we have been using BIPOC to describe young people of color for a couple of years now, trying to align with what we thought were their desires. But we never had a survey question around this. Mm -hmm. So we decided, you know, we really should, you know, we're doing this report on representation and inclusion and what brands should be doing. We need to ask this, you know, what actually is preferred by young people of color when they are hearing others speak about all people who are non-white. So the question specifically was, when you think about others talking about all people of races and ethnicities that are not white, which of these terms do you most prefer be used? Hmm. And it was a list of five options, including other, please specify. So they were given opportunity to tell us something if we didn't have it on there. But the options were BIPOC, people of color, multicultural, non-white, and other. Okay. BIPOC was absolutely not the term. (laughs) That came on top of this ranking. So they were most likely to choose people of color, followed by multicultural, which is really interesting. And this kind of movement to have BIPOC be the term that is adopted, you know, it turns out isn't as large and isn't as driven by young people's desires as many out there might be kind of representing. Um, and so, can, I, can I ask a question though? Because one of the yeah. things that's interesting when you're talking about representation, you're also talking sometimes about smaller groups. And BIPOC, I thought was interesting because it had the eye for indigenous. Sure. And yet indigenous populations are not large. And so in any survey, their opinion about how they want to be called is not is is not going to be, it's not going to nudge the the decision, if you will. Right. True. So I'm curious, you get where I'm going here is you've got a majority reaction and yes, yes, it's the way they prefer. And yet they're in some ways it are, it could, you don't know. I mean, I guess, unless you asked, are you indigenous? Does that population care or does it not care? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, the base for, we actually have the preferred term for for Indigenous was actually Native American out of the list that we provided. Okay. Uh, So we do have a small sample uh, telling us that when you're talking about their race, not all people of race, all races and ethnicities, so not that broader term, but their specific race. We have a small base that told us that their preferred term is Native Native American. American. Well, okay. Um, That's very interesting. I do caveat, you know, as you said, it's a small population. Mm. Our surveys are balanced across race and ethnicity. So they are reflective of population sizes. Mm. Uh, And so, you know, this is an under 100 base. So, you know, then you get, you're on sand at that point. Exactly. So not something we called out in the report by any means, right? because, you know, we're looking for readable basis here, but, you know, if we're talking anecdotally, that was the direction. Well, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really fascinating that Y-Pulse made that choice. And I think that's one of the things that's that's really great is you're listening to the people you're talking to so that you're giving good advice on other people and how, how to speak. It is also interesting that the second term was multicultural. And so you have one which is definitely tied to, to race, whereas another is tied to ethnicity. I, I thought that was sure. really interesting that, and also because who, who is of color can change over time. Yes. I'm an yes, Italian American. My, my grandparents were of color. 
according to all their documents, they were labeled as brown. And nobody thinks of Italian Americans as being of color. Or right. I don't think right. so, at least, you know. And so it's a a moving target as well. You know, you get the answer now. This is why you resurvey things. Sure. Sure. Yeah, we'll we'll continue to keep tabs on this, but you know, our desire is to be reflective of the voices of young consumers, the desires of young consumers. What we're always trying to do, no matter what the topic is, is communicate to brands what young consumers are feeling, what their realities are, not what is being described or what they're being labeled as by outside parties, but truly their feelings and their desires. So, when it comes to race, ethnicity, and labels, you know, we as an organization are moving forward, going to be using young people of color Mm -hmm. as the term that we use when we're talking about as a group, young African-American, Asian, Hispanic people, you know, as, as the whole. So we are changing from BIPOC to young people of color. If these generations were going to give an overarching report card on how things are going, what grade would they give? Sure. So the larger issue of, you know, are they represented by how <laughs> they're impacted by racism, whether they think that they are represented, you know, is is what we delve into in the rest of the report, which is right. incredibly, again, varied. And we're talking about everything from the entertainment that they watch to the marketing that they see. And, you know, outsiders might believe my goodness, there have been such huge strides in representation. You know, look at all of the the casts that are, you know, more than just white people. And, you know, look at the Disney casting, Bailey, as the Little Mermaid. You know, so many strides, so much accomplishment. But when you actually look at the data, there is so much underrepresentation still occurring. And when it comes to young people's points of views and what they believe. 68% of young people of color agree. They wish they saw more people of their race in TV shows and movies. The majority, 77% agree that entertainment media can do a better job representing minority groups. So they're still looking for that representation and not finding it when they're looking at the entertainment that they're consuming or the marketing. And, you know, certainly we've seen that racism is, there's no question, one of the biggest problems that they feel that they're facing. We've asked year on year, you know, what are the biggest problems you feel your generation is facing? For Gen Z and millennials, racism is at or near the top as an open-ended question. And the majority of African-American young people feel that racism is getting worse in this country. About half of Asian and half of Hispanic young people feel the same. Hmm. So racial equity is is by no means a mission accomplished. You know, there are so many examples and, and day-to-day targeting of these communities and these individuals from, you know, the Asian Stop Asian Hate Movement is, you know, which was born out of the anti-Asian hate crimes in 2021. And co- that continues. And our data very clearly shows that they're still not feeling represented and they're not feeling safe. So seeing that representation is... <clears throat> 
so vital to them. Different industries have different levels of visibility. One of the taglines Gina Davis uses with her work lobbying to have more women in meaningful speaking roles in commercials, TV, and film is if you see it, you can be it. And so you're saying, and you said this earlier, that if we're looking at entertainment on the see it, be it measurement, they're not seeing as much as they want to see. Correct. That applies to other kinds of entertainment, not just TV and, and movies, but video games. Right. Um, I was going to ask you know, how gaming was doing. Yeah. Um, gaming is not as inclusive as they wish it was. 70% of all young people wish that video games had more diverse characters. That's 73% among young people of color. And 55% of young people of color agree that gaming culture is not inclusive enough. And by the way, when it comes to gaming, young people of color are, I believe, a hugely ignored segment of the gaming population. They're actually more likely to be gaming on a console weekly than their white non-Hispanic peers. They're very engaged in gaming and largely not represented as gamers wow. or in, in the games themselves. You're right. You know, if I think about images of gamers, quote unquote, I, it's very, it's almost never a person of color. Absolutely. They're missing from that. That's fascinating. So heads up, all you game companies, you need to pay attention. So they, there's obvious, you know, in media, entertainment, and then I'm including gaming in that. It's very visible. If you have people in your products, if you have people in your commercials, do, do these companies get a pass with regard to their own workforces as long as the content they produce is diverse? I mean, for instance, I know Netflix does really well. They have a lot of, they, they do well because they're working to have not only different races, but neurodiversity, sizeism, able, ableism, you know, they, they really try, they've made it a concerted effort, but I don't know how their staff, you know, their own corporate diversity and inclusion is, do people, do young people dig in to how, you know, how diverse is the board? They absolutely are looking for diversity beyond the screen. Okay. Uh, the number one thing that young people tell us that brands should do and would have to do to reflect diversity and be inclusive is to hire a diverse staff and have diverse employees. That's the number one thing they're looking for. And previous data that we have showed very clearly that they are looking for stories about people of color to be written and created by people of color. Hi. And there's there's absolutely awareness of not just, you know, when a white person is cast in a role that is meant to be a person of color, which has happened so many times, it's, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. But also when the creators of a show or a TV or a movie or a book, uh, this has happened frequently, a, a book, any content about people of color, they find out and, and often it is discovered that that content was created by a white person. The authenticity around it is completely destroyed. And mm. there often is backlash around that because it's feels like a white person masquerading as someone who has had this experience. And, you know, really what they're looking for is people of color to be brought in to tell those stories. Right. And given those opportunities. 
Right. Exactly. To tell stories, to share stories. Yes. You know, we always talk about social media and so we can't not talk about social media. And in previous conversations, we've talked about how social media is an entertainment destination for young consumers. Is social media a mirror of its users and therefore it doesn't have these issues or does it? Social media... Yeah. Social media absolutely has its own issues. There's no question. However, when we ask about the media sources that offer entertainment that they feel is diverse and inclusive, which we ask about, Mm -hmm. TikTok is second on the ranking, which is enormous. Instagram is in the top five. And what we've really seen is that because they are seeing more representation on these platforms than they do certainly on traditional media like cable. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are relatively more well received when it comes to diversity and inclusion, even though absolutely there are huge issues about co-opting culture and, Mm. you know, creators not being paid the same as white people of color, creators Mm. not being paid the same as white creators or even given the same opportunities, huge issues, systematic. But when it comes to what young people are perceiving as an inclusive, diverse entertainment, social media tends to score more highly than some of the other traditional media platforms. Well, I suppose, again, if if social media is built by its users and it, the algorithm feeds you content you like, presumably you are fed content by people who look like you or people who you like to see, you know, uh, to some degree. So I'm not totally surprised by that. In yes. some ways, I'm surprised that they don't perform better, you know, <laughs> that we don't see, you know, that everybody isn't, isn't up there at the top. Uh, sure. So it does sound like TikTok is doing the best. Of the bunch. Yes. How is YouTube performing? YouTube is in the top 10. Absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, YouTube was one of the first places that these generations saw people who look like them. Right. And content creators really have been so popular, partially because these generations have been looking for representation. We're not finding it in traditional media. And so we're going to the places that were new at the time and and showing them faces and content filled with people who were like them. Right, right. We talked a lot about entertainment. We talked about social media. We touched very briefly on sort of the wider population. So I want to really say very clearly, consumer products. Now, obviously they have advertisements and that's, I would lump that in with the entertainment. How much do the consumers look under the hood for real equity inclusion? You said the number one thing is hiring. That's what they want them to do. But do they check? Do they check to see that hiring is being done? Yeah. I mean, our previous research has certainly shown that these are generations of researchers (laughs) that they do dig in. I think, are they looking at every single item that they're buying? No, they don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. Are they more likely to have affinity for brands that have made diversity inclusion their core? Absolutely. We see really clearly that brands with top reflect diversity scores, which is a score that we track in our brand tracker among young people of color, also just have higher affinity among that group. And so, you know, really clear evidence that those brands that have made diversity a big part of their foundation and their messaging are more likely to have affinity and brand love among young people of color. So are they researching every single thing? No, but there is awareness 
And certainly they're more likely to choose those products that they feel are reflecting diversity or have made inclusion, you know, a really big part of their... Just by way of allowing people to imagine in their head, what are just kidding, you give me two brands that are in that category of brands. Yes. Well, Savage, Fenty and Fenty Beauty are the top two. So (laughs) these are radically inclusive brands and have really changed their industries. Right. Because of their radical approach to diversity and showing not just a huge range of products meant for all kinds of people of color, Mm. but also inclusive in body shape and ability and all of those other pieces of people's identities that we were discussing before are also so important. Fantastic. This has been so interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.